In a world where medical doctors cover up your symptoms with drugs, you need a better way. Look no further. You found it. The Freedom From Pharmacy Podcast. The Freedom From Pharmacy Podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as medical advice. Always consult a physician when trying to get off a prescription medication. Welcome to the Freedom From Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Showalter. I am certified in holistic nutrition. I am not a doctor, and these claims have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration to prevent, cure, or treat any disease. Today I'm going to try and break down the scam that is COSID-20, and I think you know what I'm talking about, and I'm deliberately not using the words because there's software that can flag you for censorship if you use certain keywords, so I'm not going to use those keywords in this program, at least I'm going to try. And I haven't done a podcast on this since the whole thing began because what's there really to say? The listeners to this podcast already know how to support their immune system, and really, If you know some basic things, I'm more concerned about getting a splinter than getting COSID. But the world has gone collectively insane, and it's obvious to anybody who can read that this whole thing has been a scam from the beginning. And I've included 20 pages of links in the notes for today for further reading. And I tell you, I spend 10 hours a day, 6 days a week, every week of the year, learning And I will challenge anyone, no matter how many doctors you have behind your name, to debate me on the data that I'm going to present. However, Mark Twain said, It is easier to fool someone than it is convincing someone that they've been fooled. Nevertheless, I'm going to try and do that today. It's really only the really honest person who can look at the data and come to conclusions of their own. To accomplish this goal, I'm going to break it down into a couple sections. I'm going to start off by discrediting medical doctors because people think that they know everything and because of what they're hearing in the news, how they can't treat it and there's so many deaths and all of this, that the situation is really as bad as it is. When in reality, medical doctors are trained drug dealers. They do not know how to cure anything. They're trained in allopathic reductionism. They're not trained in health. When was the last time somebody went to a a medical doctor with high blood pressure and left the medical doctor cured of high blood pressure? It's never happened because the medical doctor does not think about what causes the high blood pressure. They just give a drug to lower the blood pressure. So you take the blood pressure drug and, yeah, it lowers the blood pressure, but it doesn't fix the problem. So you end up having to go back to the medical doctor to get a higher dose of that drug or a couple other drugs in addition to it and you never get off the drugs that's not health that's symptom management with drugs for the rest of your life and by the way this the side effects of those drugs cause other diseases and then you'll need drugs to cover up those symptoms for those diseases as well until you're old and you're on more than 10 20 different drugs and then you die In fact, medical doctors are the leading cause of death in the world. They kill more people than abortions in a year. Just in medical errors, they kill 250,000 people a year. This is John Hopkins University study 2016. 106,000 people were killed by FDA-approved safe drugs. Properly prescribed, properly taken, deemed by the FDA as safe, dead because of the drugs. 
It's a JAMA 1998 study, and the number's gone up since then. There's 630,000 heart disease deaths in a year. That breaks down to like cardiomyopathy, heart attacks, selenium deficiency, congestive heart failure, B1 deficiency, atherosclerosis caused by eating fried foods and oils, hypertension, calcium deficiency, or plugged arteries in the kidneys caused by eating fried foods and oils. There's 180,000 senior citizens who die from conditions they acquired in the hospital, not from the disease that they went to the hospital for, from conditions they acquired by going to the medical doctors. 180,000 a year. 137,000 die from stroke. Absolutely preventable. 98% of those is a essential fatty acid deficiency. The other 2% is a copper deficiency. There's 990,000 infections acquired in a hospital a year. Infections are easy to deal with if you can support your immune system. 72,000 die from diabetes in a year. It's chromium deficiency, among other things, eating way too much sugar. 72,000 Alzheimer's, cholesterol deficiency, that your brain's made of cholesterol. 45,000 kidney disease, nothing wrong with your kidneys, the kidneys are plugged up from eating fried foods and oils. And here's the big one, 560,000 people die a year from cancer. Did you know that it is illegal to cure cancer? It's been illegal since the 50s when they were, the government ran Hoxie out of the country into Mexico when he was successfully treating cancer. Anybody who even hints at the fact that they can cure cancer are immediately put in jail. There was a guy who was selling apricot seeds, which is a source of B17, Laetril. He wasn't even claiming that it cured cancer. He had customers that were saying it cured their cancer, and he went to jail for seven years for it. The only people who are legally allowed to cure cancer are the oncologists, and they're the only ones who can't. In fact, after putting a trillion dollars worth of funding into cancer research, they've come up with three treatments. First treatment, chemotherapy. Chemotherapy was discovered as an accident after World War I's mustard gas use. That's where they came up with chemotherapy. And the Journal of Oncology says that it's 97% ineffective for adults. That means 97% of the time it does not work. And this is their primary treatment. 97% doesn't work. And to add to that, the journal Lancet, the premier medical journal in England, said that in 2016, this study said that 50% of the people who receive chemotherapy are killed by the chemotherapy, not the cancer, the treatment killed them. And this is the best the medical doctors can come up with. And do medical doctors even know how to read? Do they read their journal that says it doesn't work? Does it, do they read the medical journals that say it kills their patients? Who can get away with this? Their treatment kills half of their patients and they keep doing it. Why are they not in jail? And these are the people we're getting medical advice from? Absolutely ridiculous. There are other treatments. Radiation. Guess what? Radiation causes cancer. Does anybody doubt that? Do I even have to discuss that? Their third treatment is surgery. Cut your parts out. That At least that one can work. I mean, you don't have to cut your parts out cause if you knew what you're doing. But this is the brainwashing of the medical doctors. They only do what they're told. And mainly what they're told is from the pharmaceutical companies on how to apply their drugs.
They cannot think outside of what they've been trained. In fact, if somebody goes to the medical doctor and fixes their own problem and the doctor's amazed at their test results, like, wow, this is amazing, your test is so much better. And then the person asks, do you want to know what I'm doing? He's like, no. You know how many times I've heard that happen? There was a case where a woman was hospitalized her with liver failure. Only had like she only had like ten percent of her liver left. And she was on a liver transplant list, not looking very good for her survival. And uh, her husband called a holistic doctor, asked what he could do, gave her supplements, and her liver started growing back, her tests started normalizing. Eventually she got released from the hospital and her liver grew completely back and the doctor doesn't even want to know what he did to fix the problem. Now you would think that somebody entrusted into the health of their patients in their community would want to know what they're doing that improved their health so miraculously but they don't care. They don't want to know. And this is the kind of people that we entrust our health with. Medical doctors are only good for emergency medicine. There are, however, a few good medical doctors out there. A couple situations that occurred during the COSID time. Medical doctors were putting their patients on ventilators, and then most of them were dying, and they blamed it on COSID. Well, turns out that there was a couple medical doctors who were saying, hey, these ventilators are actually... They're causing their patients to die. And when he raised the alarm about it, he was silenced by the medical community. And another case, a group of doctors were using hydroxychloroquine to treat COSID and were having such amazing results with it. And so that they marched on the U.S. Capitol and gave speech to everybody and, said, and proclaimed loudly you don't have to be afraid of this. We have a cure. One doctor treated 20,000 patients using hydroxychloroquine plus zinc. That's important. you got to add the zinc because the hydroxychloroquine puts the zinc into the cells, and zinc is already known to be antiviral. And guess what? You can't find that that speech anywhere on, in, on the Internet. It's really hard to find. There's a couple uh, places like BitChute and... Uh, alternative video platforms but Facebook scrubbed it, YouTube scrubbed it, Google scrubbed it from search results. They want this thing to be bad so that they can benefit from it. They don't care about the health. Then after Donald Trump mentioned hydroxychloroquine, then the medical community made false studies with the using hydroxychloroquine, giving massive doses that were dangerous to give, and then said that the test showed that it didn't work. No, they, compl they deliberately messed up the test to discredit it. And this is the kind of stuff that we have to put up with from the medical community. They had to let people die from it because they would have never gotten an emergency use authorization if there was an effective treatment. And they had to have emergency use authorization to push their vaccines. And then magically, the second largest production plant that produces 50% of the world's hydroxychloroquine magically blows up in Taiwan. And yet, on the other hand, there's, there's all of those bad doctors where... Their patient's dying from COSID, and the, somebody recommends, well, why don't you just give intravenous vitamin C? And they'd be like, well, there's no studies showing that that works. Baloney. All you have to do is go to PubMed, where there's hundreds of thousands of studies, and type in search bar, vitamin C and infection, and you get 3,700 results.
This is well-known fact that vitamin C can fight infections. And yet they use off-label prescribing of drugs all the time, which is when they take a drug and use it for something that it's not approved for, and there's no studies to back its usage. And the thing is, their patients is going to die if they don't do anything. There's no side effects to vitamin C. There's only benefit from it. They won't try it. But let's move on and talk about pharmaceutical companies. They're good, right? <laughs> I'm such a joker. It's almost in the nature of the business to be evil. It's like, have you ever known to have honorable pirates, them in the piracy business? One of the reasons is, if you actually create cures, then you put yourself out of business. So all you see all of these uh, pharmaceutical drugs, they want you to take a drug every day for the rest of your life. And never get off of them. And I don't know if you realize this, but the word pharmacy comes from the Greek word pharmakia. And there's a verse in the Bible, Revelation 18.23 says, All the nations were deceived by pharmakia. Isn't that interesting? But pharmaceutical companies have a long history of being evil, such as Bayer back in during World War II made the Cyclone B gas that was used in Nazi gas chambers. But even moving closer, from 1991 to 2017, there were a total of 412 settlements reached between the government and pharmaceutical companies for a total of $38.6 billion that the pharmaceutical companies had to pay out for their crimes. Pfizer is one of the companies on the top of the list who are paying out the most at $4.7 billion. Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca both paid out more than a billion. But these numbers are just the cost of doing business. See, if you commit fraud and you make $10 billion off of it and you pay a $1 billion fine, you know, that's still $900 billion in profit. So it's just a cost of business to these people. And the crimes range from price fraud, illegal promotion, kickbacks, bribery, environmental violations, drug and medical safety violations, price fixing, anti-competitive practices, workplace safety, health violations. These companies are not your friends. Let's look at some specific examples. It takes an average of 10 years for a drug to get approved to go through all the processes to get approved, FDA approval. And ironically, every FDA-approved drug has a side effect of death. It just depends on how, how many deaths occur. For the case of Vioxx, uh, Vioxx went through all the processes and got approved, yet it still killed 38,000 people. Now, how do you think that they got that past the FDA approval? So Merck knew prior to getting their approval that it caused heart attacks. So what they did in their studies that they used to get approved for, they excluded people who were at risk of heart attacks so that it made their study look good. That's, that's the kind of thing that these companies do. What about some crimes related to vaccines? That's a great segue to, to talking about vaccines in general. Have you ever heard of SV40? So SV40 is, stands for Simian Virus 40, and this was found to be contaminated in Merck's polio vaccine for a period of seven years. And if you watch the YouTube video of Maurice Hillman giving an interview, he was a top Merck scientist, he admits that they knew that SV40 was in their vaccines and they continued to sell them 
And it was estimated that 98 million people were given this vaccine that was contaminated with SV40. Well, here, SV40 causes cancer. Yeah, so the interesting thing about viruses is they're opportunistic. So, like, people who don't normally get shingles until they're old, that's because the shingle virus just stays dormant until their immune system is so compromised that shingles can come about. So, with SV40, you got people getting cancer from SV40 20 years after the shot. Now, do they ever tell you that there's a risk? that there might be something in these vaccines that might come down the road 20 years later and kill you? No, they don't do that. Another example, Judy Mikovics found that another virus, this one was a mouse virus, XMRV virus, is estimated to be in uh, found in 20 million Americans. So the, how this came about was they were experimenting on lab mice uh, genetically modifying them and doing testing on them for their vaccines and stuff. So this is in the same area where vaccines are being made. And they don't realize that the mice were shedding this XMRV mouse virus. Well, it turns out that this virus was getting into the vaccines, and that's how it's in the general population. And it turns out that this virus can cause cancer as well as other diseases also. And when uh, Judy Mikovits went to tell her superiors about this who was somebody you might know, Dr. Fauci uh, when she tried to publish her paper on on this mouse virus, Fauci shut her paper down and wouldn't, wouldn't allow it to be published so uh, and that's a long story of all the crimes that Fauci himself have committed but he's the best expert around now, right. I'm going to get into Fauci more later um, right now I'm going to talk Continue on with vaccines. Moving on, Dr. Michelle Carbone openly acknowledged that HIV-AIDS was spread by the hepatitis B vaccine produced by Merck in the early 1970s. Pharmaceutical company Bayer in 2006 found that there was HIV in their vaccines. In response to that, they pulled it from the U.S. market and sold it to France, Spain, and Japan instead. Such nice guys. In 2011, 47,500 people in India were permanently paralyzed by Bill Gates' polio vaccine. Which brings up the common subject, oh, but vaccines have eradicated and uh, prevented so many diseases. Well, I'm going to take the position that Dr. Shiv Chopra, the senior science advisor to Health Canada, that's like the FDA in the U.S., when he was asked by Dr. Dave Janda, is there any vaccine that's ever helped any person on the planet ever? And he replied, no. Why is that? Well, if you look at the historical graphs before the vaccines were introduced, you will find that the death rates of those diseases were already massively declining before the vaccine was introduced, which shows that it wasn't the vaccine, it was actually hydration, sanitation, refrigeration, cleanliness, which was the cause of the decline. So if look, for example, the U.S. Health Department contains the death rates from infectious diseases from 1900 to 1963 when the measles vaccine was introduced. Death rates from the measles had already declined 98%. If the measles vaccine did anything, it was less than 2% a change. 
From 1900 to 1949, death rates from whooping cough decreased 96%. Again, if the vaccine did anything, it's less than 4%. Death rates from 1900 to 1949 from diphtheria declined 99%. Data from England and Wales Office of National Statistics 1997 reported similar decreases. Scarlet fever and typhoid eradicated without a vaccination program. The thing about polio, the people who get polio, 98% of the people just get symptoms of a common cold and then get better. Only 2% of the people actually can get paralyzed by it, which shows that God's given immune system can handle this, this sort of thing pretty easily. So what they don't tell you of the polio is after they gave the polio vaccine, there was a massive polio spike. It was called the Cutter Incident, where the polio vaccine gave the people paralyzing polio. That was where they had to put people in iron lungs because the people were given polio, not a wild polio, an artificial lab polio, which caused them to be put into iron lungs. In fact, one year after polio vaccine was introduced, the number of polio cases doubled in Vermont to Massachusetts. After mandatory vaccinations from 1957 to 1958, polio cases increased 50%, and from 58 to 59, it increased 80%. If you read headlines from recent history, just this past year, you'll find headlines like polio outbreaks in Africa and Pakistan, India were from, now quote, vaccine-derived polio, not wild polio. So the polio problem is caused by the vaccine, not the other way around. And also, when they say that, oh, after the polio vaccine, polio dropped, well, you know why they why it dropped? Because they reclassified the symptoms of polio and changed it to viral meningitis. So all of the people who had polio was now called meningitis. So, wow, look at all the polio cases going down. Yeah, because you changed the definition of polio. All those cases are now called meningitis. Seriously. And you see some people like, I'm going to vaccinate my kids because I don't want them to get smallpox. And well, that just shows complete ignorance because nobody is getting vaccinated for smallpox. Do you ever wonder why nobody's getting vaccinated for smallpox anymore? Because smallpox is not an issue anymore. No vaccine required. All right, so now let's look at some of the, at the safety of vaccines. So in the 1980s, vaccines were so unsafe that the pharmaceutical companies went to the government, lobbied the government to pass the, the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act which made the pharmaceutical manufacturers completely liability-free from any lawsuits due to injuries caused by their vaccines. So the pharmaceutical companies would have went out of business if they didn't get liability protection from the government. So what instead, you got an, a secret vaccine court where if, if you're damaged by the vaccine, you can go to the secret court and try to prove that the vaccine caused your injury, which in one case, the DTP caused autism to two twins, took them nine years in the secret vaccine court to be compensated and finally declared that yes, it actually, that vaccine actually did cause those twins to have autism. So nice. And most people will never make it to that point. It also instituted the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, short for VAERS. So this is public information that you can look up. In 2019, there was 49,000 adverse reactions to vaccines and 164 deaths. Now keep in mind, this is 
system is voluntary reporting, so you don't have to report it. Which National Vaccine Information Center reported that in New York, only one out of 40 doctor's offices actually would report a vaccine injury, which means that 97.5% of vaccine-related deaths and disabilities and injuries caused by the vaccines are not reported. That means out of the 49,000 adverse reactions that were reported, really there's 1,960,000 adverse reactions reported. And that makes sense because doctors are already brainwashed into thinking that the adverse reactions that the people are having are not caused of the vaccine because they actually believe the vaccines are safe and effective when they're not. Why don't you look at the insert that comes with the vaccine and look at the, the side effects that, that are on the insert of the vaccine. So like for the MMR vaccine, for example, the adverse reactions are two pages long and include death. While on the subject of the MMR, the CDC did a study in 2004 that was the definitive study that they wanted to show that the uh, MMR vaccine did not cause autism. This was the definitive study. Turns out, years later, the top scientist who worked on that, Dr. William Thompson, out of reasons of conscience, he couldn't live with himself knowing that him and his two other colleagues on the project, when they discovered that uh, the MMR vaccine caused a threefold increased risk of autism, they sat in a circle in the room with a trash barrel in front of them and they threw out research until it, they got the numbers that they wanted to. Now this is the kind of thing that health officials do. If they don't get the results that they want, then they deliberately mess up the test. Rather, instead of uh, protecting people's health, they'll cover for the pharmaceutical companies so that they can keep selling more vaccines. Why is that? Because the CDC is not a health organization, it's a vaccine company. The CDC owns 57 vaccine patents, so they're benefiting from the narrative that vaccines are safe and effective. For detailed information about this scenario, you can watch the movie Vaxxed, because that's what this was about. It was about fraud in the CDC. So now let's look at the ingredients of some, of some vaccine to see if the, some of the ingredients are, are safe. So there's formaldehyde in the vaccine. So it's interesting, the EPA put out a warning about formaldehyde used in plywood and warned that it was dangerous for it to be off-gassing from the plywood in your house, but it's completely safe to inject the formaldehyde into your bloodstream. Another ingredient, aluminum, a neurotoxin. So they started putting aluminum in vaccines as an adjuvant that's to stimulate the immune system so that it has an immune response in the presence of the killed virus. So it turns out that uh, Stephanie Seneff was doing research on aluminum and glyphosate and come to the conclusion that glyphosate, it was already in the, bo in the body and glyphosate can use, be used as a carrier molecule to move aluminum past the blood-brain barrier. So you get aluminum in your brain, start short-circuiting your brain, that can't be good. So they started putting aluminum in because of, of uh, outcry against mercury, which is still in vaccines, not all of them, but it, mercury is hidden under the name of thimerosal, which is the preservative in the vaccine. 
the interesting thing about the mercury is EPA came out with the, what they called the Safe Water Act. So in this act, they set the limit of a safe amount of mercury that could be in drinking water. So the level that they set in that act compared to the level that is in the vaccine, and you'll find that the level of mercury in the vaccine is, get this, 25,000 times higher than allowed to be safe in water. 25,000 times. Why are these people not in jail? Seriously. If I tried to put up a concoction together of the ingredients and vaccines and, and tried to give it to my kids, they take my kids away and put me in jail. Why aren't they putting these pharmaceutical companies and doctors in jail for this? The other difference is when you put a toxin in through orally, your body has natural defense systems. So like in the presence of mercury, if you have selenium in your diet, the selenium will prevent the absorption of the mercury and it'll naturally pass through your body without harming you. When you inject it into your bloodstream, you're bypassing all of your body's natural defense systems, making it worse. But it's safe and effective, the doctors say. Really? In 1990, the Journal of American Medical Association had an article about the measles which stated, although 95% of the school-aged children in the U.S. are vaccinated against measles, large measles outbreaks continue to occur in schools, most cases in the setting occurring among previously vaccinated children. In 1967, Ghana was declared measles-free by the World Health Organization after 96% of its population was vaccinated. In 1972, Ghana experienced one of the worst measles outbreaks with the highest ever mortality rate. In the UK, between 1970 and 1990, over 200,000 cases of whooping cough occurred in fully vaccinated children. Are you sure it's working? Because it doesn't look like it's working to me. News headlines. 2014, CDC said about the flu shot. Huffington Post, flu vaccine doesn't protect against this season's most dominant strain. Seattle Times, vaccines probably may signal rocky flu season. New evidence shows flu mist and seasonal shots likely won't protect very well against this year's virus. ABC News, flu vaccine may not be effective this year's strains. Basically, the CD said, so, oh, even though it's not going to work, you should get it anyway. And guess how they determine if, how effective the flu shot is. So they keep a record of how many people got the shot and how many people came back to be treated for the flu. So if 10,000 people got the shot and 5,000 people came back for flu treatment, the shot was 50% effective. Except not everybody who gets the flu goes back to get the treatment. So if the other 5,000 people got the flu and didn't go back for treatment, they that wouldn't be counted. You see the fraud there? So basically, I demonstrated vaccines are not safe, not effective, but then people might say, well, I got vaccinated and turned out okay. Well, what you don't know is unvaccinated people get fewer diseases. JAMA and Pediatrics in March of 2013 reported kids that weren't vaccinated had fewer outpatient and emergency visits. A German study of 8,000 children under the age of 19 completed in 2011 found that vaccinated kids got more than twice the number of diseases and disorder than unvaccinated kids. This data is mimicked in 1992 study in New Zealand and 1996 study in Guinea and in Africa. Over and over, more, more studies showing that the people that don't get the vaccine are healthier in the long run. 
So to summarize, so far I've shown that doctors can't be trusted, they can't help you, and following their advice causes the problem they're trying to fix, which causes the death of millions of people each year. I've shown that pharmaceutical companies are evil whose motives is only money and not health, and they don't care how many people they kill in the process. I've shown that vaccines are a complete lie, do not work, and cause needless harm, chronic disease, and death. Now I want to take you into the COVID 20 era with the timeline leading up to current events. This starts back in 2008 to 2013 where a research strain of coronavirus was created at Fort Detrick Bioweapons Lab in the U.S. where they wanted to find out why coronaviruses didn't infect humans well but spread wildly among bats. In 2010, Operation Lockstep was a rocket follower document that predicted a pandemic would be coming. In 2014 to 2019, the Wuhan lab received $7.4 million of funding from Fauci to look into coronaviruses' gain-of-function research. That's to take a coronavirus and make it so that it would spread more and have other uh, worse health effects. That research ended in 2019. In 2017, Tedros who became the head of the World Health Organization, was put in because he covered up three cholera outbreaks in Ethiopia when he was health minister in 2005-2012. So he's got experience with this kind of thing. In October 2019, Event 201, this is where Bill Gates and all of his cronies got together and did a, a worldwide coronavirus pandemic scenario where they looked at the, all the scenarios and what the economic effects would be of a pandemic and health effects of a pandemic. One month later, COSID-20 happens. Now, it's important to t tell you who Bill Gates is because he's the guy on TV giving all this vaccine advice. Well, he's the one who has been in the vaccine depopulation business for decades. I'm going to read an excerpt from Robert F. Kennedy's Children's Health Defense Fund, who gives a little bit of history of Bill Gates' crimes. So, Bill Gates is the guy who unreportedly added sterilization formulas to every single vaccine in the last 10 years, and the World Health Organization had to admit it in court. Independent labs have found that the sterility formula in every vaccine tested, after denying the charges, who, the World Health Organization finally admitted it, had been developing the sterility vaccine for over a decade, Similar accusations came from Tanzania, Nicaragua, Mexico, and Philippines. As Robert F. Kennedy had pointed out, the way it works, if any of this information is false, then Bill Gates should be suing him for libel. However, it's not false, so he can't. Promising to eradicate polio with $1.2 billion, Gates took control of India's National Advisory Board and mandated 50 polio vaccines up from five to every child before the age of five. Indian doctors blamed the Gates campaign for devastating vaccine strain polio epidemics that paralyzed 496,000 children. 496,000 children between 2000 and 2017. That's unnecessarily paralyzed half a million kids. In 2017, the Indian government dialed back Bill Gates' vaccine regimen and evicted Gates and his cronies from the NAB, and polio paralysis rates dropped precipitously. In 2017, the World Health Organization reluctantly admitted that the global polio explosion predominantly vaccine strain, meaning coming from the Gates vaccine program. The most frightening epidemic in Congo, the Philippines, Afghanistan, all linked to Gates va vaccine. 
By 2018, three quarters of the global polio cases were from Gates' vaccine. During Gates' 2002 Men at AfriVac campaign in sub-Saharan Africa, Gates operatives forcibly vaccinated thousands of African children against meningitis. Between 50 and 500 children developed paralysis. South African newspaper complained. We are guinea pigs for drug makers. Nelson Mandela's former senior economist, Professor Patrick Bond, describes Gates' philanthropist practices as ruthless and immoral. In 2010, Gates committed $10 billion to the World Health Organization, promising to reduce population in part through new vaccines. A month later, Gates told a TED Talk new vaccines could reduce population up to 10%. In 2010, the Gates Foundation funded a trial with GlaxoSmithKline experimenting malaria vaccine, killing 151 African infants and causing serious adverse effects, including paralysis, seizures, febrile convulsions, and one out of five children of the 5,000 children, 1,000 were injured. In 2014, Kenyan Catholic Doctors Association accused World Health Organization of chemically sterilizing millions of unwilling Kenyan women with a phony tetanus vaccine campaign. In 2014, Gates Foundation funded tests of experimental HPV vaccines developed by GlaxoSmithKline and Merck on 23,000 young girls in remote India provinces. Approximately 1,200 suffered severe side effects, including autoimmune and fertility disorders. Seven died. Indian government investigation charged that Gates-funded research committed pervasive ethical violations, pressuring vulnerable village girls into the trial, bullying parents, forging consent forms, and refusing medical care to injured girls. The case is now in the country's Supreme Court. In 2017, study done by Morgison showed that the World Health Organization's popular DTP is killing more African than the disease it pretends to prevent. The vaccinated girls suffered 10 times the death rates of unvaccinated children. Gates and the World Health Organization refused to recall the lethal vaccine, which who forced upon millions of African children annually. Global public health advocates around the world accused Gates of hijacking WHO's agenda away from the projects that were proven to curb infectious disease like clean water, hygiene, nutrition, economic development. They say that he's diverted agencies or resources to, to serve his personal fetish that good health only comes in a syringe. In addition to using his philanthropy to control World Health Organization, UNICEF, Gavi, and PATH, Gates funds private pharmaceutical companies that manufacture vaccines and a massive network of pharmaceutical industry front groups that broadcast deceptive propaganda, develop fraudulent studies, conduct surveillance and psychological operations against vaccine hesitancy, and use Gates's power and money to silence dissonance and coerce compliance. In this recent nonstop pharmapedia appearances, Gates appears gleeful that his COVID-19 crisis will give him the opportunity to force his third world vaccine programs on American children. From Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So Gates has a long history of doing horrible things with vaccines. That This is why it's important that I mentioned that him and his cronies did Event 201 simulating a coronavirus pandemic. This coronavirus pandemic is Bill Gates's dreams come true. He, he now has the leverage to get everybody vaccinated for this thing. And as he said in his TED Talk, which you can go watch on YouTube, if we do a good job with health care and vaccines, we can reduce this number down to by 10%. So he was talking about like the total population. Just trying to quote it there for you. So getting back to the timeline, COSA 20, we stopped off at October 2019 with the event 201. One month later, COSA 20 starts in Wuhan. We are told that COSA started with somebody eating some bad bat in one of the wet markets. 
However, as Dr. Judy Mikovits, biochemist, microbiologist, says, in order for a coronavirus to jump from a bat to a human, it would take thousands of years, unless it was lab-made. Dr. Francis Boyle, who has five doctorates from Harvard and wrote the original Bioweapons Treaty, also agrees that this was lab-made. In January of 2020, China releases supposedly the SARS-CoV genome, which no one to this day has yet to isolate the virus. When researchers ask the CDC for a purified sample so they can work on it to make tests and vaccines against this virus, they reply they don't have one. Nobody has an isolated virus. It's a year and a half into it. Nobody's bothered to purify this virus. And by the way, you need a purified virus in order to set a PCR test for one and to actually make, make something that might work against it. However, no such thing ever existed. The genome that China released is just based on, I'll read it right now. In this section titled Whole Genome Sequencing, we find that rather than having isolated the virus and sequencing the genome from end to end, they found 37 base pairs from an unpurified sample using PCR probes. This means that they actually looked at 37 out of approximately 30,000 base pairs that are claimed to be the genome of the intact virus. They took these 37 segments and put them into a computer program which filled in the rest of the pairs. That is massive fraud. You're looking at like not even 1% of the virus genome and you're using that to fill in the gaps to make a computer model simulated genome of a virus. And you're basing everything off of this fraudulent computer makeup. Let's continue. March 2020, governments start locking down based on Neil Ferguson's notoriously bad computer modeling. Neil Ferguson's Imperial College predictive software is full of bugs. It puts out different answers with the same inputs. He also predicted that 150,000 people could die in the UK from COVID. And in the same timeline that, that there would have been 150,000 that he predicted, there was only 200. In 2002, Ferguson predicted that up to 50,000 people would likely die from exposure to the mad cow disease in beef. In the UK, there were only 177 deaths from mad cow disease. You see how huge difference that is? That's less than 1% accuracy. Less than 1%. And this is the guy we're listening to. In 2005, Ferguson predicted that up to 150 million people could be killed from the bird flu. In the end, only 282 people died worldwide from the disease between 2003 and 2009. In 2009, a government estimate based on Ferguson's advice said a reasonable worst-case scenario was this, that the swine flu would lead to 65,000 British deaths. In the end, swine flu killed 457 people in the UK. Ferguson eventually admitted that his Imperial College model of COVID-20 disease was based on an undocumented 13-year-old computer code that was intended to be used for a feared influenza pandemic rather than a coronavirus. Ferguson declined to release his original code so other scientists could check his results. He only released the heavily revised set of code. So you can base the entire lockdown based on... Neil Ferguson's notoriously bad computer modeling. And by the way, the lockdown was based on a 13-year-old high school science project. That's where the idea of locking down healthy people came from. 
By the way, there's no science to support lockdowns. Europe's CDC said that there was no historical observation or scientific studies that support the confinement by a quarantine of groups of possibly infected people for extended periods in order to slow the spread. It is hard to imagine that measures like those with the category of social distancing would not have some positive impact by reducing transmission of a human respiratory infection. However, the evidence base supporting each individual measure is often weak. The military did a study of quarantining people in their barracks, showed that quarantines do not work. You can look at the charts in the show notes, showing that if you looked at the charts and there was no things indicating when lockdowns started and when lockdowns stopped, you would not be able to tell where they stopped and started because there is no relationship between a lockdown and spread of infections. Or moving on, March 2020, COSID PCR tests come on the scene. PCR tests looks at three base pairs of what they think comes from the virus, but they're not sure because they haven't isolated the virus yet. PCR tests run at 25 cycles. 70% of the positive cases, there was not enough viral load to cause symptoms. PCR tests run above 35 cycles or 97% false positives. PCR tests run in the U.S. are over 40 cycles. So basically, the PCR test can make a scamdemic however they want to. If they do over 40 cycles, they can get 97% false positives. If they put it back below 25 cycles, they can make hardly anybody test positive because the PCR test is not looking if you have COVID-20. It's not looking for SARS-CoV-2. It's looking for some gene pairs. It's not looking for a virus. So they can make the PCR test say whatever they want it to be, and considering how over 40 cycles is 97% false positives, they can make a scamdemic real easy. Now, here's, here's the funny part. Now that COSID shots are out, now the CDC guidelines say for vaccinated people is the test with 28 cycles for the PCR test, which will absolutely cut the number of COSID positive tests showing, oh look, now the shots are working. See how the drop in the test? This is how they commit absolute fraud. And here's some authoritative people talking about how you can use the PCR test for fraud. Here's a guy named Fauci. Maybe you heard of him. He says, quote, if you get a cycle threshold of 35 or more, that the chances of it being replication competent are minuscule. You almost never can culture a virus from 37 threshold cycle. So if you think somebody does come in with a 37, a 38, or even a 36, you got to say, you know, it's just dead nucleotides, period. End quote from Fauci. He's saying the PCR test over 36 is worthless. From the New York Times, most tests set the limit at 40 a few at 37. The CDC's own calculations suggest that it is extremely difficult to detect any live virus in a sample above a threshold of 33 cycles. There's no test going on at 33 cycles pre-shots. Former scientific advisor at Pfizer, Dr. Mike Yadin, argues that the proportion of positive tests that are false may actually be as high as 90. New York Times, again, says 90% COVID cases are not contagious. Why is it? Because they're false positives. You see the correlation? 97% false positives, 90% aren't contagious. That's because they never had it. The World Health Organization says asymptomatic people don't spread COVID. Why is that? Because they're false positives. A 10 million person study in Denmark shows no asymptomatic transmission because they never had it. From the CDC, 
Quote, however, there is a chance a positive result may that you have antibodies from an infection with the same family of viruses called coronavirus, such as the one that causes the common cold. So it, the, the PCR is picking up anything. If you ever had a cold before, you, the PCR could come back positive. From the CDC, the antibody test can, can be wrong half the time. From the FDA, quote, positive results do not rule out bacterial infection or co-infection with other viruses. The agent detected may not be the definite cause of disease. Laboratories within the United States and its territories are required to report all positive results to the appropriate public health authorities. Negative results do not preclude SARS-CoV-2 infection and should not be used as the sole basis for patient management decisions. Negative results must be combined with clinical observation patient history, and epidemiological information, end quote. So the FDA is saying you're not supposed to use the PCR by itself. That's what everybody's doing. It's like, oh, positive PCR, you got it. That's never how it was intended. In fact, Kerry Mullis, the inventor of the PCR, said you're not supposed to be using it to detect a disease. That's not what it's for. So the Tanzanian president started to suspect that the PCR test was fraudulent. So what they do, they secretly have a goat a pawpaw fruit, a quail, and motor oil tested for COSID. And they all came back positive. How does motor oil have COSID-20 in there? The answer is, it's a fraudulent test. So the Tanzanian president kicked the World Health Organization out, and their COSID problem magically went away. It, it's a little suspicious that he died 10 months after that, after he kicked them out. Nobody knows if it's related or not, but it's interesting so I mentioned that Kerry Mullis was the inventor of the PCR test. Well, in 1993, he did an interview where he was talking about our one and only Fauci and said that Fauci doesn't know anything about anything and he will lie directly at the camera. He said that none of these political, quote, scientists will debate him because he'll make them look like the fools that they are in less than 10 minutes. Fauci recommends what the going trend is. So in the beginning, both him and the World Health Organization said that masks won't help. And then when the political winds changed, he said, oh, he lied about the mask before, and now he says to wear the mask. And then one year later, everybody saw that the mask did nothing, and then he said, well, that's because we need to wear two masks instead. Ridiculous. So now I'm going to show you the science behind the mask to show how ridiculous this is. So, the CDC, May 2020, did a study reviewing 14 studies on whether wearing masks, enhanced hygiene, environmental cleaning, and had any effect on the spread of infectious disease. The CDC concluded that none of these measures affected the spread of infectious disease. And what is everybody doing? Wearing masks, cleaning their hands with hand sanitizer, spraying down their environment with chemicals, trying to kill something that it's not it's not having any effect cdc reviewed 14 studies said doesn't work continue on that's not the only one american journal of infection control quote face masks using healthcare workers has not been demonstrated to provide benefit in terms of cold symptoms or getting cold end quote british medical journal labor quote laboratory confirmed virus were significantly higher in the cloth mask group Penetration of cloth masks by particles was almost 97%. Moisture retention, reuse of cloth masks, and pore filtration may result in increased risk of infection. End quote. You hear that? The British Medical Journal says wearing masks increases your risk of infection. Continuing. 
Journal of Epidemiology and Infection, quote, there is little evidence to support the effectiveness of face masks to reduce the risk of infection, end quote. Journal of American Medical Association, quote, face masks should not be worn by healthy individuals to protect themselves from acquiring respiratory infection because there is no evidence to suggest that the face masks worn to be effective in preventing people from becoming ill, end quote. Journal of Influenza and Other Respiratory Disease, quote, none of the studies established a conclusive relationship between mask use and protection against influenza infection, end quote. Annals of Internal Medicine, quote, both surgical and, cloth and cotton masks seem to be ineffective in preventing dissemination of SARS-CoV-2 from costs of patients with COVID to the environment and external surface of the mask, end quote. New England Journal of Medicine, quote, we know that wearing a mask outside of healthcare facilities offers little, if any, protection from infection, end quote. Journal, Lancet, did not note any association with masks and risks of transmission. This CDC study is good. You scroll down to the bottom, see the graph, and it shows that of all the COVID positive cases, 70% of the people wore a mask all of the time and three percent never wore a mask or this one where the cdc quietly comes out in 2021 that there is a one in ten thousand chance of you getting coasted from touching a surface do you see that we've been lied to horribly the reason you need to wear a mask is to keep the fear going. If you weren't reminded of fear every time you walked outside by seeing people wearing a mask, you'd realize that no one's falling over dead and, that, and then the scam would be over. It's all political theater. To quote Pennsylvania Governor's Wolf and State Representative Ullman, that exact thing. They were caught on a live mic. They didn't realize the microphone was on. They were talking about how they weren't going to uh, wear their mask backstage because it was all political theater. The reason masks don't work is coronavirus is 60 nanometers in size. The mask has 50 microns pore sizes. That's over 100 times larger than the virus. So it would be like trying to stop a golf ball by using a hula hoop size hole. Clearly not effective. Even making things worse, German study shows that masks harm kids. Uh, the study was on... 10-26-2020. The registry had been used by 20,353 people. In this publication, we report the results from parents who entered data on a total of 25,930 children. The average wearing time of the mask was 270 minutes per day. Impairments caused by wearing the mask were reported by 68% of the parents. These include irritability, 60%, headache, 53%, difficulty concentration, 50%, less happiness, 49%, reluctance to go to school, kindergarten, 44%, malaise, 42%, impaired learning, 38%, and drowsiness and fatigue, 37%. Here's the thing with masks. Mass, in addition to the moisture retention, increasing your risk of bacterial pneumonia, which almost killed one, one kid that I know of, uh, mass increase your stress response because you're restricting your airflow. When you're restricting your airflow, your body's kind of a little freaking out a little bit because I'm not getting all the air that I want. So it increases your stress response. Well, what happens when you increase your stress response? Your body reduces its resources toward the immune system and puts it towards the stress response. So when stress goes up, the immune system goes down. Watching the news can make your immune system go down because of the stress. So in other words, by putting your mask on, you increase your chances of getting an infection just by reducing your immune system, just by wearing the mask. 
This is another example of doing what doctors tell you cause the problem that they're trying to prevent. So many times they do that. Over and over again. That's what my whole podcast is about, Freedom From Pharmacy. Pretty much every episode I rail on the doctors how what the therapeutics the doctor is telling you to do is causing your problem. So as I've shown with the fraud of the PCR test, they've turned a, a pandemic into a scamdemic. So what do we do about all of the supposed COSID deaths then? In the year 2020, there were supposedly 345,000 COSID deaths in the U.S. Well, what you really need to do is look at the total number of deaths in the country per 100,000 people. So in 2017, there were 840 deaths per 100,000 people. In 2020, there was 828 deaths per 100,000 people. So it actually went down compared to 2017 in total deaths per 100,000 people. So you can see how they can manipulate numbers and make it look so bad. The next thing you got to look at is actually the CDC came out and said that only 6% of COSID deaths are actually from COSID. How can this be? Well, there was massive fraud. One aspect of the fraud is despite being a, quote, pandemic, hospitals were actually financially strained. And if you can believe that during a scamdemic. So these hospitals were getting paid by the government $13,000 for every COSID patient that they had and $39,000 for every COSID patient they had on a ventilator. So hospitals were financially incentivized to put as many COSID patients in their hospital as they can because they're already financially hurting. So they had the incentive to do it. The other thing is, so the hospitals were authorized to classify somebody as a COSID patient even if they didn't even test for it. And I've talked about even how much fraud the tests are. Well, here they were authorized to diagnose a COSID case without even a test. So we've got massive fraud going on at the hospital level. And then we have innumerable cases like somebody died in a motorcycle accident, it was a considered COSID death. Somebody fell down the stairs and died, and it was a COSID death. A person had died from heart disease and had a positive COSID test, so they died from COVID. The hospitals were told to do it that way. No matter what they died from, if they had a positive COSID test, they died from COSID. Massive fraud, which is why the CDC said only 6% of the COSID deaths were actually from COSID. So here's another statistic. More than half of the COSID deaths were from nursing homes and elderly people who were going to die anyway within a year. So here's what uh, Governor of New York did, Como, him and six other Democratic governors around the country, when they had somebody sick with COSID, they were ordered, ordered to go back to the nursing homes and, so that they could infect all the rest of the people in the nursing homes. Not to be isolated in the hospital, they were ordered to go back into the nursing homes. So this was like a genocide committed at the governor's order level of elderly people. However, like I was saying, most of those people would have died within a year anyways, which is why when you compare the total yearly deaths per 100,000 population, you don't see it going up. So this was all political reasoning or evil reasoning. Uh, either way, it was evil, but uh, the Democratic governors had to make the death count of COSID high in order to make Trump look bad. 
So Como puts on a big show telling Trump, I needed 30,000 ventilators last week. So Trump gets together with some companies and asks them, like, well, can you make some? And he gets 15,000 of them, gives them to Como in New York. Two weeks later, they find these ventilators. They're in a warehouse. And when Como was asked about it, he said, well, yeah, well, they're just there because we don't need them right now. Well, you lying piece of crap. You said you had, you needed these ventilators. And as I mentioned anyway, it actually probably would have saved people because 9 out of 10 people who were put on ventilators were killed by the ventilators. Anyway, I already mentioned that. So so you have you have this aspect where all the, the Democrat people all over the country were trying to make the death numbers worse than they were to make Trump look bad so that they could get Biden elected. So that was one of the reasons. So here's another thing. So as I mentioned, 6% of deaths were only from COVID. So if you take 345,000 and find out what 6% of that is, that's 20,700. And guess what also happened in the year 2020? The flu deaths dropped to zero. There were no flu cases in the country. Normally, there's 45 to 60,000 deaths considered from the flu or complications of the flu, like pneumonia. Those were all gone. Those were considered COSID deaths. So if you consider that, uh, 45 to 65,000 of those, I mean, that, that covers your 20,000 COSID deaths immediately. So you don't even have to look any farther to find your deaths. And then you had the media completely complicit, falsifying narratives. You had... Orlando Health, who said that their positive, their hospital positive ratings were 98% when they were really 9.4%. You had CBS News faking a hospital scene to make it look like their hospital was overrun. And you got media saying, hospitals are overrun all through over the country, and most hospitals are running o- over... 60% capacity. Some of them are operating normally over 85% capacity. And the, the media is just overhyping it all, all the time. And you can see some proof of that because the hospital ship with 1,000 beds moved into the New York Harbor and they closed up shop and left after only treating 182 people total. So if this thing was like so bad, you know, they had 800 empty beds they could have filled they didn't because it was a scamdemic as you clearly can conclude by looking at the total deaths per year per 100,000 population to review that 840 deaths per 100,000 in 2017 828 deaths per 100,000 population 2020 it went down not up and the CDC even admits that the coasted survival rate is over 99% so now let's talk about the new COSID shots. And I refuse to call them vaccines because they're absolutely not vaccines. And if anybody tells you they're a vaccine, they're lying or ignorant. So these shots do not meet the legal definition of a vaccine. What these shots are, are experimental gene therapy. They change your DNA in order to produce a spike protein and then your body responds by making antibodies to the spike protein that your cells are naturally making. It's not a virus. There's no COSID virus in the shots like normal shots. Normal vaccines take 10 years before they can get to market and they still kill people. 
These new shots are under emergency use authorization and, did you get this? Pfizer made theirs within hours. It only took them hours to make it. Now let's look at this. 10 years versus a couple hours. And Moderna, it took them two days to make theirs. And, and get this, Moderna has never made a vaccine or drug ever. Would you have surgery if the doctor never performed the surgery before? I don't think you would. Why would we take a shot well, from a company that's never made a vaccine before? So any guesses how Pfizer came up with their, that their vaccine was over 90% effective? Well, they took the results from 94 people and ignored the other 43,000 people that were in their study. That's less than 0.002% of the people in the study and said, hey, this nine, over 90% effective. And then, get this, they also gave the shots to the control group in the trials to reward them because it was so risky for them not to have the shot. So, for people not familiar with studies, you have a control group that doesn't have a shot. They give them a placebo or a saline solution, so they think they have the shot. But the people who in the trials don't know if they've got the placebo or they've got the actual shot or drug. So they can compare the results to see if there's actually a change. Well, what they did was they gave the, the control group the shots also. It nullifies their entire study. Not to mention the previous fraud of only picking 94 people out of the 43,000. I mean, lots of fraud have been committed by that. Like the Monsanto, when they were getting aspartame approved, they took the monkeys that died out of the study so that that wasn't included. So... Back to the Pfizer shot, so this thing has to be kept within negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit or it'll go bad. And the administrators of the, of the shots are only allowed to open their dry ice container more, at most twice a day. Now how bad is this thing if it's got to be kept colder than any other medicine? I mean this is multiple times lower than freezing point. And it turns out that the Pfizer shot's not even working anyway because the Yale epidemiologist, Dr. Harvey Risch, says that more than half of the new COVID patients have been vaccinated. So either it doesn't work or the there's false positives. Either way, it doesn't really matter. But when you get the shot, did they tell you that the Pfizer documents say that you're not supposed to have sex for over a month after the shot due to reproductive risks? and that you should have your sperm frozen just in case it sterilizes you? Isn't that lovely? Oh, they didn't tell you that? Oh, shoot, I'm surprised. Oh, did they also tell you that by getting the shot, it doesn't prevent you from getting a SARS-CoV-2 infection and it doesn't stop you from spreading SARS-CoV-2 virus? Yes, the companies acknowledge that it doesn't do that. Yet, all you see on TV, get your shots. It'll help prevent other people from getting infected. No, it doesn't do that. The manufacturers admit they don't. it doesn't do that. So the shots have been out for several months now, and we got the VAERS data. That's the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System and the UK's Yellow Card Reporting System. So as of the end of April 2021, in the UK, there's been 7,000 deaths due to COVID shots and 208,000 adverse reactions and including in that's 20,000 eye disorders that included blindness. Not a word from that from the mainstream media, did they tell you any of that? In the US, from the VAERS system, 
there was 4,178 COSID shot deaths with over 60,000 adverse reactions reported. That's 12,000 hospitalized, 1,300 life-threatening, almost killed them, and 1,000 permanently disabled from the shots. Isn't that great? But you, you won't hear the mainstream media say anything about that. In fact, Harvard did a study in 2010 to automate the VAERS system, make it more efficient, and they found out that only 1% of the reports going to the VAERS system are reported. When researchers told the, the results to the government offices, they, they wouldn't answer their phone because they didn't like the results and they shut the project down, so they kept the VAERS system the way it was, only reporting 1% of the adverse reactions. So. Now you can do the math and find out if 4,000 is only 1%. You can reverse that and go back and find out what the real amount is. And the, it turns out that I was listening to an interview, a person working in the healthcare industry for 17 years, when she was a, she's a pro-vaccine person, and she got the shot thinking, yeah, I've had shots before, not, not that big of a deal. When she got it, she got disabled because of it. Her husband has to help her go to the toilet because it's so bad. Anyway, so she, she'd been in the healthcare industry for 17 years. She didn't know that there was a vaccine adverse event reporting system even existed. So, I mean, they, doctors are not trained to spot vaccine re adverse reactions and report them. And it seems that they don't even know that it exists. Not to mention that they've been brainwashed into thinking that shots are safe and effective. As I've pointed out, 4,000 deaths and 60,000 adverse reactions in the U.S. and 7,000 deaths and 200,000 reactions in the U.K. is not safe and effective. And it's all very bizarre because AstraZeneca causes like 20 deaths and they, get, they start getting banned in numerous European countries. Why aren't they banning Moderna and Pfizer for over 10,000 deaths? It, it, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what's going on there. I mean, do they need one of the pharmaceutical companies to take the fall for the rest of them? Is Pfizer and Moderna getting, uh, have major lobbying with the media, with the government, so that they're keeping this quiet so they can keep going? I don't know. What, I don't know what's going on, but clearly... Something serious, something evil is going on because they're hiding the fact that the t over 10,000 people have been killed by this shot. That's just the reported ones. It's more than that. So um, there's media censorship. Facebook removed a Facebook group that had over 120,000 people talking about vaccine adverse reactions. When the shots first come out, you had all these live appearances of people getting shots and then... Uh, the one nurse giving an interview on live TV saying she was so happy that her and her team got the shot and then she passed out on live TV. And nobody knows what happens to her. I mean, the, the hospital says that she was recovering afterwards, but nobody know, nobody's heard from her. Nobody knows if she died or not. We don't know. But you see videos of people having seizures afterwards, people feeling sicker than they've ever had in their life, pain all over, terrible headaches, chills, fevers, permanent paralysis. That nice. Did they, the pharmaceutical company tell you if you got the shot, you could be paralyzed forever? I don't think so. You get stories of healthy doctors and nurses getting the shot, and then they die. Uh, one nurse drove into her driveway who got the shot, and they found her dead in her car. 
Vaxxed people are having mini strokes or blackouts while they're driving, causing single-person accidents. And this is really disturbing. It's not just the vaccinated people, quote, vaccinated people. It's not just the people who receive the gene therapy. It's the people who have contact with the people who had the shot. So somebody who has the shot is in close proximity to somebody who does not have the shot. And the person who does not have the shot gets sick by being exposed to the person who did have the shot. So the person, so the, the quote vaccinated person is shedding the spike protein that the body's been trained to create from the mRNA that hacked your body into creating the spike protein. That person's body is shedding the spike protein. The unvaccinated person is getting this shedding from you and it's making him sick. It's mainly affecting women, uh, messing up their periods, causing heavy bleeding, miscarriages. And while on the subject of miscarriages, miscarriages among vaccinated people are threefold higher than normal. There's doctor's offices, schools, restaurants who have signs saying they won't take you in if you've been, quote, vaccinated due to this risk of the shedding. And nobody knows how long you're going to be shedding this spike protein. It could be possibly forever, considering that mRNA has hacked your DNA. Now all your cells are producing this spike protein, which means it's going to pass on to your kids. Your kids are going to have this too. It's just, it's one giant mess, and nobody knows what's going to happen in the long term of this. So uh, some of these adverse reactions, why is this happening? Well, Um, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny has the best explanation of it. Uh, She's been studying vaccines for 30 years, um, and she's found 20 mechanisms that these shots are using to harm you and eight of them to kill you. So she calls this the perfectly designed killing machine because most of the deaths are occurring long after the shot. They can't pin it down directly to the shot. So what these shots are doing is the... This spike protein that your body's trained to make, the antibody that your body has created to fight the spike protein. So, backing up a little bit, the spike protein, they say the virus has this spike protein. So, they're training the body to attack this spike protein. So, your, your body's making antibodies to attack the spike protein that your cells are making because of the mRNA. So, this antibody is attacking lung tissue and breaking it down. In fact, they tested 55 different cell types. So they had 55 like petri dishes with cell types in them and like skin and lung and and heart tissue, all 55 different types of this. Then they dropped the spike protein antibody on top of these cells and 27 of them reacted badly to it. So your the spike protein is all throughout numerous systems in your body and your body's now being trained to attack this spike protein so basically your body's attacking yourself because of what the shot did to you so oh this is terrible um so the shots also inhibit inhibit the M2 macrophages, which are the anti-inflammatory macrophages. So you can get a cytokine storm and die. So this is when your immune system overreacts. That's what a cytokine storm is. So 
when you inhibit these M2 macrophages, there's nothing stopping you from getting to the cytokine storm. So the shots attack the astrocytes and oligodendrocytes. These are cells in the brain. It attacks the inner mitochondrial membrane, gas 65. So this is when the people get the shots and they feel like they can't even move. They don't have any energy to do anything. They can't even move. So, well, the reason is it's attacking their mitochondria, the, the energy of the cell. So it attacks the neural filament protein and motor neurons. This is why you're seeing the videos of people in seizures uh, convulsing on the floors. So the interesting thing about the, the antibodies with the spike protein is the average deaths are occurring 19 days afterwards. And the reason is it takes your body some time to build up the antibodies to attack the spike proteins. So Dr. Sherry Tenpenny was talking with some, some specialists in Europe, and they were saying that it takes around up to 48 weeks to see the full effects of autoimmune disease. So we're three months in. So another, what, six to ten months we're going to see some serious autoimmune system problems due to this antibody attacking the spike protein in your body. So it's not, not only is it just those parts of your body, but get this, placenta is made with these spike proteins. So that's why I mentioned uh, there's threefold increase in miscarriages. So whenever you get pregnant, your body's going to attack the baby and cause a miscarriage. So potentially, I mean, you're talking like 12, probably less than 12, but I mean, 12 babies a, a year that your body's killing. I mean, after fertilization, you have a new life and it's growing in the placenta and then boom, your body atta starts attacking these spike proteins in the placenta and boom, you keep ending up with dead children over and over again. I mean, if you, I mean, if you're like, 20 and you've got 20 good years I mean you're talking about hundreds of babies that could be killed because of this shot it's horrible so not specifically to this shot but due to it's it's not being an actual vaccine but what's known in the the vaccine industry is what can happen to when you give vaccines is what's called antibody-dependent enhancement, also known as immune priming, or also known as paradoxical immune enhancement. Now, Dr. McCullough explains that it means that rather than enhance your immunity against the infection, the vaccine actually enhances the virus's ability to enter and infect your cells, resulting in more severe disease than had you not been vaccinated. This is the exact opposite of a, what a vaccine is supposed to do, and a significant problem has been pointed out from the beginning in the push for the COVID-19 vaccines. So you see examples of this in history. So you've heard of the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. It's COVID's often been, been um, compared to it. Well, it turns out that the Spanish flu is neither Spanish nor the flu. So we were told that soldiers in World War I were picking this up during the war and brought it back to the U.S. Well, no, turns out first case was in Fort Riley, Kansas. Reason being is, turns out that the U.S. government was doing a massive vaccination campaign against bacterial meningitis. So they were vaccinating all these soldiers, 
And when the soldiers came back from the war early, they had all this extra vaccine left over, so they started giving all the citizens it too. So it turns out that that vaccine against bacterial meningitis was shedding and spreading. It was causing it to spread, so it was causing all these all these um, bacterial meningitis cases. So it wasn't the flu; it was bacterial meningitis. And the 2008 National Institute of Health paper said that bacterial pneumonia was the killer in a minimum of 92.7% of the autopsies conducted on patients of the 1918-1919 Spanish flu. So right there you've you've got one case where it was priming you up to take a fall hard because the people who died in the Spanish flu were healthy people and it caused them to have a cytokine storm and they died quickly. So these shots primed their immune system to make it worse than it would have been if they didn't have the shots. So you can also see another example in Italy. During the early months of COSID, Italy was having lots of deaths. And the reason was, prior to that, Italy had done a massive vaccination campaign. And the the vaccines they were using were different than normal vaccines. So normal vaccines are cultured in chicken egg cells. And the new ones, they cultured it in animal cells. So we had a, a flaw in design from the beginning. So it, it primed their immune system to take a hit from COSID. So you've got that aspect of it. And then you also have the aspect that all vaccines immediately, once you get it, knocks your immune system out by half and then makes you vulnerable for weeks afterwards to infection. Uh, and that also assumes that your immune system was 100% to begin with, and most people, it's not. So those are some of the reasons why uh, Italy was, was hit so hard with deaths. Immune priming and vaccination uh, knocking out their immune systems, making them susceptible to the shots. So I want to read this excerpt from uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He, he talks about how coronavirus vaccines had notoriously bad outcomes when they tried them in the past. So this is a quote from Roger F. Kennedy Jr. He says, quote, here's what happened. After the SARS epidemic in 2002, there was three SARS epidemics. The first one was natural one that began in China. There were two that were lab escapees, and that's not controversial. People acknowledge that. After those epidemics, the Chinese and Western nations all get together, and they said, we've got to develop a vaccine to treat this coronavirus. SARS was the kind of coronavirus. They got together, and they developed about 30 different vaccines, and they chose the four with most promising models. They tested them on ferrets which are an animal that is most analogous to human reaction to upper respiratory infection. They're very similar to humans. They were very predictive of what's going to happen in human beings. The ferrets developed to all four vaccines an admirable immune response. The scientists thought they had hit the jackpot. When those ferrets were later exposed to the wild virus, they all had body-wide inflammation in all their organs, and they all died. The scientists then remembered something. They remembered that in the 1960s, the FDA and the NIH had tested an RSV vaccine, which is very similar to coronavirus. They had skipped the animal studies, and they'd gone straight right to humans, and they had tested on 35 kids. The kids, again, developed a sterling antibody response, and they thought that they had hit the jackpot, but when those children were exposed to the wild virus, instead of protecting them against the vaccine, they actually 
enhance the pathways of the virus. Two of those kids died, and they all became horrendously sick and became a scandal, and they dropped it and never touched it again. The coronavirus does something interesting when it provokes an antibody response. There are two kinds of antibodies. The neutralizing antibodies, which are the kind that defend you from disease, and there's other kinds of antibodies called binding antibodies that actually help the virus stick to your receptors and make it much, much more dangerous. That's the kind that's produced by this coronavirus vaccine. That was in 2012, and they completely terminated the program. Then in 2014, Tony Fauci had developed a dengue vaccine, and in the clinical trials, the dengue vaccine, they saw some of the same signals. That actually the people who got the vaccine and then later were exposed got very sick, they glossed over that. They gave it to the Philippines, the Philippines gave it to 100,000 kids. Many, many of those kids, when they finally encountered the wild dengue virus, became horrendously sick, and 600 of them died. End quote. So the long-term death risk is a very real dangerous possibility for these new COSID shots. And as I mentioned before in the previous section that I talked about vaccines, we don't know that these shots aren't going to cause cancer 20 years later. I mean, nobody's done long-term studies. It's just the risk of, of it attacking your body, autoimmune attacking your body, the risk of it not sterilizing you, killing your offspring is terribly serious and the fact that nobody is telling you this in the mainstream media is testament to the entire fraud. The pharmaceutical companies, the media know if they tell you any of this, you won't get the shot with good reason, which makes them all criminally liable for all of the death and negative side effects that are going to come about from this in the coming year. And I agree with Dr. Roger Hodkinson of Canada, an expert viral pathologist with many other credentials behind his name. He says that COSID is the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the world. I totally agree with him. Oh, and by the way, this is a message for those who think that they can force you to take the shot. Who the heck do you think you are? I'll tell you who you are. You're a freaking Nazi. That's what the Nazis did to the Jews. Joseph Mendela used to inject experimental substances in his patients, and he was nicknamed Angel of Death. This is repugnant. What are you going to do next? Force your employees or, or your citizens to start smoking? Because smoking is healthier than getting these shots. At least you can detox from smoking. Once you get the shot, there's no going back. You can't undo your DNA to make it go back to the way it was before. The Nuremberg Code was developed precisely after what Joseph Mendela did, so that in the future nobody could force people against their will to put anything in their body that they didn't want to take. I mean, you could avoid getting COVID by supplementing with vitamin D and C, but I'm not an authoritarian a-hole who would force somebody to take it. No, there's no side effects to that. Only health benefits. And one more thing. Anybody who does force somebody to take these new shots, you've got the blood of all the abortions on your hands. Any abortions that that shot causes in the future is going to be on your hands. I hope losing your eternal soul was totally worth it. So what can you do? We already know that all of the government's recommendations do not work. So what can you do? Well, there's a very cool thing that every person has. It's called the immune system. 
and God gave it to you for a reason, and it's capable of handling anything that this world can dish out, but it needs your help. It needs help being supported. So what can you do to support your immune system? Well, before I get to that, let's talk about the germ theory. So the germ theory came about from Louis Pasteur, who discovered that if you pasteurized milk, you could make the milk have a longer shelf life because there weren't any bacteria in it. The germ theory says that if there's a bug around and it gets inside of you, it can make you sick. The contrary theory to the germ theory is the terrain theory. This theory, championed by Antoine Béchamp, at the same time that Pasteur was around, Béchamp said that it wasn't the, the pathogen that was making people sick, it was the person's environment that was making them sick. So if their body is weak, they'll get sick. If their body is strong, they won't get sick. And Pasteur and Béchamp had a little rivalry going on like that, and eventually it's reported that Pasteur on his deathbed recanted his position and said that Béchamp was right. It's actually the terrain theory, which, you know, they didn't know at the time, but we know now because we have such advanced um, microscopes and stuff. But there's bacteria everywhere in the environment. There's bacteria on your skin. There's bacteria in your eyes. There's bacteria in your gut. I mean, there's actually more bacteria in your body than there is living cells in your body. And the one interesting thing is the bacteria on your skin, called staph epidermis, is your first line of defense against pathogens. Because these are the good bacteria fighting the bad bacteria that you would encounter. And then you see all these people, the government, recommending hand sanitizer all of the time. Well, you're, you just took away your first line of defense against pathogens by killing off your good bacteria on your skin. Not to mention... You're putting chemicals on your skin, being absorbed through your skin. The alcohol is drying your skin out. None of it's good. In fact, unless I have, like, dirt or grease stains, I don't even wash my hands with soap. I just use water. And I haven't had a cold in over three years. And, like, I've had one cold in the last eight years. So I think I know what I'm talking about. And I live in Ohio, so at the, our latitude, our bodies stop making vitamin D from, like, November to March. So uh, that, and we're, and it gets really cold here, and, like, half the year we're wearing long sleeve clothes anyway. So we're really not getting a, a whole lot of vitamin D. And people spend winters inside, so we're not, not outside. So this brings me into, well, what can you do to support your immune system? Well, vitamin D is a huge one. It turns out that 80% of the COSID deaths, they were vitamin D deficient. So vitamin D deficiencies considered 20 nanograms per milliliter of blood test vitamin D. So what you should have is between 50 and 100 nanograms per milliliter. So you can see like vitamin D supplements that are like a thousand IUs. And you can see there might even be some uh, 5,000 IUs of vitamin D. Well, uh, it turns out that somebody did a study that uh, they had somebody supplementing with 5,000 IUs of vitamin D every day and it never touched their vitamin D blood levels. So they either weren't absorbing it or they were using it all before it could be stored. 
So what he experimented with was giving like 50,000, 100,000 international units of vitamin D for a short period of time to see what their blood levels would do. So, I mean, if you want to try and get up to the, the 50 to the 100 nanograms per milliliter, you need to be checking your blood levels. But personally, I take between one and 5,000 international units a day and I'm fine. And I've heard that if you take 10,000, you don't get colds anymore. But that's one of the main things that you can do to support your immune system is check, getting your vitamin D blood levels checked and then seeing what you need to do to remedy that. The next thing is vitamin C. Vitamin C's RDA, recommended daily allowance, is only 120 milligrams. So the recommended daily allowance was set in the 1940s and it was the amount that you needed in order to not get scurvy. So that's a ridiculously low amount along with most of the nutrient recommended daily allowances. Imagine this, a rat that weighs half a pound can produce 54 milligrams of vitamin C a day. Now, do you think you weigh more than uh, two rats put together? I think you do. See, rats can like swim in sewage, climb up through your toilet, and you don't see rats getting any Ebola or any other weird disease. So if you actually did the math about converting a rat's vitamin C, the amount that they make, and the amount that people would have to take would be 16,000 milligrams of vitamin C, which is way more than you actually need. If you tried to take that much orally, it would give you diarrhea or an upset stomach. You can't take more than like 10,000 a day orally without causing some digestive upset. That's just because you're taking so much that the digestive system can't process it that quickly. So really one to 3,000 in a serious situation where you, you might think that you've be, been exposed to something bad, you might be, might go like 1,000 milligrams every couple hours while you're awake, and that gives your body some time in between doses to process it. And if you think that you've actually do have COSID, then from what I've heard, it only takes about five days of taking that amount of vitamin C before you recover. And for people who are in serious critical condition, they were giving them intravenous vitamin C, and you can put 100,000 milligrams of vitamin C intravenously, and turns out that that's what China was doing. China bought literally tons of ascorbic acid vitamin C when they were dealing with the first waves of their COVID problem, and they were having success using vitamin C, but over in the U.S., nobody was saying anything about that. Because they couldn't, they had to. They had to say that there was no cure to get emergency authorization for their vaccines. So what else? 50 milligrams of zinc a day, and along with uh, two milligrams of copper a day, because uh, zinc and copper have a, a relationship. If you take too much of one, it depletes the other. And then, addition to that, you could add like green tea to that or quercetin. So. Green tea and quercetin can help put zinc into the cells where it can actually do the fighting of pathogens. 
200 to 600 micrograms of selenium. Selenium is a great immune system supporter. It recycles your glutathione, and glutathione is one of the great uh, body detoxifiers. Adding garlic to your food. Garlic is amazing. It's antiviral, antibacterial, antiparasitic. British researchers gave 146 people either a placebo or a garlic extract for 12 weeks. The garlic takers were two-thirds less likely to catch a cold. And everybody has access to garlic. Oregano is a great antibacterial, antiviral. On the flip side, probiotics can help support your immune system. But you don't want to take probiotics like yogurt, kefir, kombucha, other things that have probiotics in it. At the same time, you're taking, like, uh, garlic and oregano because then they can, like, fight against each other. So, like, one meal have garlic and then another meal have probiotics. Something like that might work. Uh, Fucoidin, that's a brown seaweed. It's very powerful supporting your immune system. Beta-glucan, also very powerful supporting the immune system. Now, if you actually had COSID and you wanted to really supercharge your immune system, as I mentioned, hydroxychloroquine was being used by doctors. There was one doctor in Houston who treated 20,000 patients with hydroxychloroquine plus zinc because hydroxychloroquine was an ionophore that put zinc into the cells. They treated 20,000 people successfully, no problem. So Fauci knew 15 years ago that hydroxychloroquine was useful against SARS types coronaviruses because he put it in a report 15 years ago, back when the, after the original SARS. So to say that he was against it last year, he's just going with the political wins, as I had mentioned before. Continuing on, things that you can do to support your body while actually dealing with an infection. So there's what's called a Bob Beck blood electrifier. So he, he has a paper called uh, Take Back Your Power. Basically, it puts a, a very low current through your blood, and that kills bacteria, parasites, viruses. They, the patent for the Bob Beck blood electrifier mentions that it can kill HIV. Now, his system is a lot more complicated than it needs to be. You can build one of these things for about $12. All it takes is a cell phone charger, a frequency generator that you can buy off of eBay for about $12, and two plates of metal, any kind of metal, like a pop can. You could you could use a pop can, something like that. So you hook two wires from the cell phone charger into the frequency generator, and then you take the two wires from the frequency generator and connect it to your two pieces of metal. Now you can either hold on to those two pieces of metal with your hands or you can flatten them out and fasten them to a piece of wood and then you can put each foot on each one of those. Now your body is connecting the circuit when you turn it on and it doesn't hurt. So don't worry about that. So you can adjust if you feel like a little tingling on the frequency generator you can adjust how much output voltage you want. You can turn it down or you can turn it up. The maximum amount you're going to get is 5 volts because that's what the cell phone chargers are at. And then, because it's a frequency generator, you can also benefit from rife frequencies. So, Royal Raymond Rife, he discovered that you could kill pathogens by applying certain frequencies. To the benefit of that, you can search, search online for a list of uh, rife frequencies and all the benefits that they can have because pretty much every disease 
can be counteracted with a right frequency because your body is actually each of your organs is operating on a certain frequency and when it's diseased it's not operating at that frequency so when you apply the frequency you can help heal your body by using the frequency generator so not only can you use it for fighting infections but you can also do it to promote health in other ways so you'll have to look up the right frequency so if you're actually dealing with an infection you would pick a right frequency that's useful against infections and there's a lot of frequencies that you can try and that's just like twelve dollars you can make this thing super simple another thing that uh, the people can use colloidal silver and you can make this yourself also by using two pieces of silver wire or two silver coins and using the cell phone charger you could do that too you just uh, take some distilled water and connect your cell phone charger to each silver wire and put it in the distilled water and if you want to check it you get a TDS meter for about seven dollars on eBay and when it gets up to about ten you stop and you've got ten parts per million colloidal silver which is which is what the normal is so colloidal silver has been tested on over 500 pathogens and it's killed every pathogen that they've ever tested it on and if you look this up you'll see lots of i think i think they're bots disinformation uh, campaigns against it they'll say oh it causes argyria which is a condition when your skin turns gray no in order for it to cause your skin to turn gray you'd have to drink 10 gallons of 10 parts per million colloidal silver solution for six months in order to do that so it's not going to happen people who did that we're taking a high parts per million solution and taking a lot of it every day. So that's not what we're doing. We're, we're taking a low parts per million solution. And it was found to be effective against Ebola. So there was American companies who were shipping it over to Sierra Leone or the other countries that were dealing with Ebola back in, when was that, 20, 2012, 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. So American companies were like, we can really help these people. We'll just ship them our colloidal silver. Well, the World Health Organization blocked their shipment three times. And there's no side effects to using colloidal silver if you use the right amount. But the World Health Organization, like they always do, they hype their pandemic. They won't let you treat it with things that work because they got to have the fear so they can push their vaccines and whatever else they're doing. So the COSID-20 is nothing new. They've done it before. And the same thing with ozone therapy. So there was a guy, Robert J. Rowan, a medical doctor in Africa, found that you could have a two- to four-day recovery from Ebola by using ozone therapy. It's very similar to intravenous vitamin C, and only it's, it's putting in ozone into your bloodstream instead of vitamin C. And he tried to go into, into Sierra Leone to help people there, government wouldn't let him in like i can treat it i can treat it no sorry you can't come in this is the kind of crap we got to deal with on an ongoing basis so i didn't mention about the the colloidal silver you can take that orally but you can also if you have a nebulizer you can breathe it in especially helpful for respiratory disease also nebulizing a low concentration hydrogen peroxide so like the typical hydrogen peroxide you can buy from in the store is like a three percent solution you need to do the math and dilute it down to like 0.04 
concentration in order to nebulize it. Something else you can do is get a negative ion generator. So you can buy these for like $20. Uh, they're battery operated. You put them around your neck and they put off negative ions. So negative ions are used by people who have allergies because the negative ions can grab onto particles in the air and deactivate them. So like it it's useful against pathogens as well. And also, uh, for the people who already got the shot and are shedding spike proteins, this might also be something that will uh, protect you from getting the spike proteins because allergens are proteins and you're trying to stop spike proteins. So this might work. I don't know if it will or not. So that's more than enough things to support your immune system. And you gotta wonder, why did nobody else tell you about this? Because they either didn't know or they w were trying to cause a crisis by not telling you. Now let's talk about the moral implications of the shots. COVID shots were either made or tested with cell lines derived from a baby that was murdered during an abortion. It is not morally permissible for a Catholic to receive a shot that's been made in this way. It's always been Catholic more theology that the ends do not justify the means. You cannot get a good out of an evil. But one might say, but the Pope and bishops say it's okay. Well, I'm sorry to say that the Pope and the bishops have fallen from grace, and nothing further demonstrates this than the setting up of Pachamama idols and the altars in the churches in Rome during the Amazon Senate, all while Pope Francis watches a group of witches performing a pagan ceremony in the Vatican Gardens bowing down to Pachamama idols. This is a time of crisis in the church, but this is not something that the church can't overcome. Back in the 400s, over 80% of the Catholic bishops had fallen into the Arian heresy. This heresy denied that Jesus was both God and man. The bishops have now caved due to public pressure or because they feel they might lose people if they say that they can't receive COVID shots. But just for the sake of being fair to the bishops, We'll look at the document that the USCCB came out with. That's the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. It's very similar to the Congregation of the, of the Doctrine of Faith uh, the Vatican put out. So I'm just going to read the section here that's pertinent. It says, As for moral responsibility, the Congregation affirms that a serious health danger could justify the use of a vaccine which was developed using cell lines of illicit origin. The current COVID pandemic has created a situation which, with circumstances similar to those posed by rubella. First, at least at present, there are no available alternative vaccines that has absolutely no connection to abortion. Second, the risks to public health is very serious, as evidenced by the millions of infections worldwide and hundreds of thousands of deaths in the United States of America alone. Third, in many cases, the most important effect of the vaccination may not be the protection it offers to the person who receives the vaccination, who may be relatively robust in health and unlikely to be seriously affected by the disease. Rather, more important effect may be the protection it offers to those who are much more likely to be seriously stricken by the disease if they were to contract it through exposure of those infected. Now let's break down those three points uh, and see if they hold any water. Now remember, these three criteria are to justify whether it's moral to receive a COVID shot. So, number one, they said there are no alternatives. As I've demonstrated, there's dozens of alternatives that are more effective and actually work, unlike the COVID shots.
Number two, serious public health risk. As I've demonstrated through the fraud of the, of the PCR test and the fraud of the COVID deaths, it has been vastly blown out of proportion. And remember, all you have to do is supplement with a few cents a day worth of vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, selenium, potassium iodide, and there would be no deaths whatsoever. Therefore, it's not a serious public health risk. Number three, it's to protect others. Well, considering how the manufacturers of the, of the shots admit that it does not stop you from getting infected with SARS-CoV-2, it does not stop you from spreading SARS-CoV-2, therefore, it does not protect others. So, in summary, all the three criteria that the bishops use to justify making this morally acceptable are moot. They are completely nullified by the facts. But as I've said before, it was never justified to receive them anyway because of Catholic moral theology, saying the ends do not justify the means. Let's look at an example. It's often portrayed that if you had a time machine, would you go back and kill Hitler when he was a baby to avoid all of the atrocities committed during World War II? Is that a morally justified act? The answer is absolutely not. Baby Hitler was innocent. He did not commit any of the sins that caused the atrocities of World War II. This is an example how the ends do not justify the means. It is never morally acceptable to sin to bring about a good. So therefore, for a Catholic to take one of these morally compromised vaccines would be a violation of our faith. As Bishop Strickland said, I will not kill children to live. So this has been Brian Showalter signing out, and we'll see you next time. To see the products mentioned in this show, head over to freedomfrompharmacy.com and look at this episode's show notes, and you can see all of the Longevity products by clicking on the store tab. The Freedom From Pharmacy podcast is owned by Easy Way LLC and is under Ohio Revised Code 4759.10i. 